Good morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 139. This is one of my favorite psalms. Hopefully it's one of yours too. If it's not, I hope it will become one of your favorite psalms. It's such a blessing to be um, here with you guys actually speaking today. Um, Last time I um, preached, I preached to half the student body. They were all spread out and they were strangers because I'd only been here for about six months. And so I was kind of introducing myself to strangers. And now it's encouraging to be able to, to, to preach and encourage friends. And, um, and it's just been a blessing for my wife and I to be able to be part of this school family for the last year and a half and get to know and get to see what God is doing in many of your lives. Um, today I want to come to Psalm 139 because for me it's very foundational to my perspective of life. We want to know where we're going. That's our mission. We want to know how we're actually going to get there. That's our, our structure, our plan. Um, as we think about that a little bit more, we want to know who we're going to do, with, do it with. And hopefully we're doing it with people that are like-minded, that are in Christ with us. Those, those are our relationships. As you start building those relationships, you'll realize you kind of, something matters in those relationships. It matters who you relate with. It matters who you are. It matters our heart before Christ. That's our character. But our character is rooted in something deeper. Who we believe God is, what we believe about the world, what we believe about ourselves. We could call it our worldview, but I call it our perspective. And so today, as we come to Psalm 139, I hope the Lord will help us do a little bit of soul surgery on our perspective, or just encouragement in that way. So let's come, and we'll start in verse 1. And it starts out, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. When I first started approaching this text, and I looked at that, I was kind of in a weird spot spiritually, and I looked at that, and I said, okay, God's omniscient, so what? (laughs) And um, by the end of this psalm, we're going to see him turn this around and turn it into a request. But I want to look at this and say, God knows And if you're familiar with this psalm, you know the next several verses. We're going to talk about this. It says in verse 2, Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. If you're in any of my classes or OSA, you know that sometimes I don't know what I'm going to say before I say it. So I'm glad someone does. Verse 5 says, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. And then verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Verses 1 through 6 tell us that God knows. We could think of the, uh, the theological word. We know that God is omniscient. But this is my God, and my God knows me. He knows what I do. He knows my thoughts. He knows my motivations, which sometimes is a little bit scary that someone else knows, knows those. Sometimes I'm scared of my own, but God knows those. He knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. He knows um, what I want. He knows where I'm going. He knows when I'm confused. He knows when I don't know, but he, he knows. It says, thou compasseth my path and my lying down. And at first, this seems like a surrounding thing. This idea of compassing is the idea of winnowing. Like maybe um, it's used in Ruth of, of when Boaz winnowed or he, um, his wheat, he threw it, or his barley, threw it up in the air, and the chaff would blow away. God sorts out. He knows what's good, what's bad. He sorts this all out. He spreads it out before him, and he looks at it. He's acquainted with all my ways. He's intimately, um, he's intimately aware of everything that I do. As we come down in verse 4, God knows everything I'm going to say. We already said that before I say it. But then we see verse 5. It says, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and thou hast laid thy hand upon me. Um, several things come to my idea. This idea of beset, um, it's used in several places in the Old Testament of besieged. 
Um, that seems a little invasive of God <laughs> to besiege me, to come all around me, but he does. He's in front of me. He's behind me. He's to my, le- my right, to my left, whichever one that is to you. He is around me, and he's looking. It says that, and thou hast laid thy hand upon me. I think about a shepherd, maybe a group of shepherds being around their sheep. And I think about the fact that they spend time with him every day. And I think about when they spend time with him, sometimes they put their hands on them. They check for ticks behind their ears. <laughs> they, um, they see how they're doing. They, they know. Um, they run their fingers through their wool. They spend time with them. My God knows me. He knows all the details of my life. He sees everything about me, and there is no getting away from that. And he directs me. And so when I come to that, and I see verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's actually awesome. So as I think about this, you know, Scripture talks about a lot about this, about God's omniscience. Psalm 142 in verse 3 says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. A.K.A., when I was in the last month of, of the spring semester and had no idea who was supposed to do those assignments that I didn't do, you knew. And so um, I'm going to cry out to that right now. God knows what I need. Um, it says in verse, uh, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And it says, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. My God already knows what I need. God knows about the good things and the bad things that I do. Proverbs 5 says that he ponders all my paths. Proverbs 15.3 says that he's beholding the good and the evil. His eyes are in every place. God knows my heart. Jeremiah 17.9, you're aware of it, says that my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the answer is given in the next verse. The Lord has searched my heart and tried my reins. And he's going to respond accordingly. Psalm 44, 21 says, Tell not the God search it out, for he knows the secret of the heart. Sometimes my heart condemns me and tells me I'm a piece of trash. Um, and maybe I am. But tells me I'm guilty when I'm really not. <laughs> and um, about specific things. But God is greater than my heart and knows all things. This should cause me to step back and say, Wow, that is awesome. Just like David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Or as Paul said in Romans eleven thirty three, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And down in verse 36, it says, to him be glory forever. God knows everything about me. God knows what I need. He knows about the things that have happened to me. He knows about the things that I've done. He knows about the things that I wanted that didn't happen. He knows what's going to happen with your summer, even if you haven't gotten that contract back yet. He knows he knows um, how this semester is going to end, even if you don't yet. He knows. God knows. And as we think about this, it should cause us to step back and say, wow, I know that he knows, but he knows me. Let's come on down for sake of time. God knows, but God is here. Let's come on down to verse 7. It says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He starts out here in verse 7. He's asking some rhetorical questions. Can I get away from you, God? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Hopefully that's not a desire of yours today. But I've been a Christian long enough to know that sometimes we want to get away when we're not thinking right. We can't. And especially if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit and you can't get away from his spirit. And that's a good thing. 
Verse 8 says, um, as we saw this, if I ascend up into heaven, you are there. Okay, we're going to some places that we can't even go. If I can go to the impossible places that nobody can go, God is there. God is there, and God cares. And you see here, um, this is something that blows my mind in the middle of this section about God's knowledge. In verse 10, it says, Even there thy hand shall lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. When I think about some of the places that I've done, gone, some of the things that I've done that I was hoping that God wouldn't even come with me, um, that I was thinking that he had just left me hanging, um, it says that he was leading me. He was actually involved in directing my life, even when I wasn't thinking correctly about him. He was holding me. Not only was he there, um, sometimes I struggle for loopholes to find out how this doesn't work, but this doesn't leave me there. God was with me. God was leading me. And he wasn't dragging me by a leash. He was holding me in a careful way. God cares. God is holding me, and he's involved in my life. He is here. He's leading me. He's holding me. That blows my mind a little bit, because there are times in my life when I'm saying, I kind of feel a little bit insignificant to God. I kind of feel set on a shelf. I kind of feel like there are a lot of other people that are bigger and more important. I kind of feel like I should be able to get away with this, maybe. No, he's there. He's with me. He knows. In fact, he's leading. There are things in my life that that I've thought about that might be mistakes, you know. Um, I kind of had my ministry plan set a couple years ago. I knew exactly what I was going to do for pretty much the rest of my life. Um, anybody who knows about that can laugh now. But um, yeah, no, that's not how it works, right? Um, God knows, though, and it's good that he does. So we come and we think about some of the specific passages that he, uh, that he gives us. Um, Jeremiah 23, 23 through 25 says, Am I God at hand? Uh, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide in secret places and I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Have I not heard what the prophets said? When the prophets lie in my name, saying, I have dreamed a dream. So when I think about God's knowledge, it's an accountability to me. My mom used to quote the verse that maybe your mom used to quote to you. Be sure your sins will find you out. And man, it was crazy. Some of the things that I would do. And like, how did you know? Um, um, Some of the things. But I've seen that happen for me. Um, I've seen that happen for me in my family, as a dad. Um, I've seen that happen for me in ministry. One time I had someone call me. They were so angry at me that they were raging that my friend six feet away um, on another couch was shaking in fear. I was too. I was a young pastor and I had someone else call me. And um, you know what happened? I got a call five minutes later from another pastor in the church and he said, Luke, are you okay? And I said, no. And he said, I just heard everything. This two-year-old girl was playing with her aunt's phone and, 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 her, and I heard the entire conversation. I'm going to help you. And I was thankful that my pastor, my friend, was there to help me, but I was thankful that my God took care of that because I did not know what to do. My God is a God that knows. My God is a God that does hold people accountable, but he'll also hold me accountable. Um, he is not a God that says, you can just lie in my name to these prophets, but he's not a God that's okay if I continue in sin. He's not a God that's okay if I cheat. He's not a God that's okay if I'm deceptive. He's not a God that's okay if I'm lazy. He's a God that's going to hold me accountable. But that's not the only thing he's fear, here for. He's not just here to watch over my shoulder and tell me when I sin. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. God's here to help me with my ministry. God's here to help me to do his will. God's here to help me accomplish that plan. Um, and I appreciated the message yesterday that he's there to comfort those who are struggling as well as those um, that are confident in running the way. He is with all of us always. He's there to help me. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your... Co- Um, conversation, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. 
so that I may boldly say, the Lord has helped me. I will not fear what man can do to me. If God is with me, I don't have to be scared of people. I don't have to be scared of what the world's going to bring at me. I don't have to be scared about what's going to happen this summer because God is with me. And that is such a comforting thought. Um, sometimes I think about this in the, in the, in the spiritually healthy way. Okay, if, if I say Philippians 4, 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. And sometimes I kind of like, man, God's with me if I'm a perfect Christian. That's not what it says. In fact, he's with everyone at all times. He's there. He's able to be reached. Acts 17, 17 through 28, or 27 through 28, says um, that there are people, the unsaved, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. If God's not far from an unsaved person, God is not far from me. And there are times in our lives when we, um, you know, had that 20-page paper that we didn't do until past due, or that 15-page paper, or that 5-page paper, and we just kind of forgot about our devos for a little while because we wanted to stress and have a pity party and not really work on our paper. And then we wanted to feel out of fellowship with God. And then we and try to get our paper done and finally got it done. And then we say, God hates me because I haven't done my devos every week. Did you know that you can confess that and forsake that? And God's right there. <laughs> He's right there. God is here with me. And God wants to have fellowship with me. It's not something that I need to crawl up some stairs. You guys already know this on my knees. I can come to my God and he's ready to answer, ready to restore that fellowship with me. God is there. You guys remember the story of Jonah. Jonah, um, you know, he was told, I want you to go on to, to Nineveh. So he got in a boat, went down to Joppa, got on a boat going towards Tarshish. And it says right there, out of the presence of the Lord. Jonah, a prophet of God, thought he could run away from God. He couldn't. There are people that sometimes, even believers, that sometimes say, I'm done with this. I don't want to do it. Maybe even at this point in the semester where some people are saying, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't, I don't really want, I'm just going to quit this thing. There have been times in my life that I thought, you know, I just, this stinks. I thought the Christian life was supposed to be easy. That's a, that's a joke. Uh, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, but there are some times when there will be struggles. There are some times when I might feel like, hmm, I just want to step away for a minute. We can't. He is with us at all times, and we shouldn't want to. This should comfort us because he's with me to do my ministry. He's with me for my needs. He's with me when I messed up and I need his help, but he's with me also in accountability. So so it should cause me, in a sense, to fear. So God knows. God is here with me. But God is also sovereign. Let's come down to verse 13. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. God is intimately involved in all the details of my life. When I've preached this in the past, I've talked about God's power and his ability and his omnipotence, and that's there, but it's more than that. God is paying attention. He's involved in my life. Um, uh, This Psalm 139, um, when it says, Thou hast possessed my reins, um, for us non-Greek Hebrew scholars, I don't even know the language, um, for us non-Hebrew scholars, that means he held your guts, okay? (laughs) Okay, He, he formed them, actually. He formed my kidneys. He was involved in that. Um, He didn't just possess them. He doesn't just know me, but he was intimately involved in building my body and my mother's womb. He gave me the family, the genetics. He gave me the height, the hair, or lack thereof. 
I know. These lights, guys, these lights, they make it hard to connect, but they also, like, make it look like you don't have very much hair, and I don't know why that is. They also, like, make dad jokes start coming out, and I'm just, like, I'm scared to preach in chapel because of that. So I'm like, okay, let's just go. So, um, yeah, okay, but he knows about my hair or lack thereof, or your apparent lack thereof, um, seeing this. Okay, but let's go on. But he knows, he knows about my complexion. He knows about these things. Those things were not accidents. In fact, he says that he makes the hearing, and he makes the lame, he makes the dumb. Um, he, makes, he makes those that can speak and can't. He makes us that way. And it says, in, um, it says in this verse, in verse 13, it says, thou, um, in verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Um, I don't need, and nor can I, stand in front of my mirror and say, Luke, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're awesome. I don't need to do that, and it wouldn't help me very much. On the other hand, if I say, Lord, you do amazing things, and you made me how you wanted to, so I'm okay with that. I'm going to praise you because you do amazing things. It says fearfully. This is the word when we think about the fear of God. Um, in our vernacular, we would say, this is awesome. God, you do awesome things. I'm wonderfully made. He made me distinctively. Some of you say real distinctively, Luke. But he made us each distinctively. He made us on purpose the way he wanted to. He made us with our unique character. But it says marvelous are thy works. They're unusual. They're miraculous. They're bigger than we can accomplish. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. And this is one of those things when I think about some of us that have struggled with maybe self-image. Um, you know, God does a good job. God didn't blow it <laughs> when he made you. Um, God didn't blow it when he gave you your gifts. Um, it doesn't talk about your self-esteem that you need to compare yourselves to other people and say, I'm more awesome than that. That's not it. I was made by a marvelous God who does marvelous things, who does awesome things. And I'm going to praise him for that. And so we need to, to be aware of that and to know that he was sovereignly involved in doing this on purpose. God doesn't do anything on accident. But it says, my soul knows that. It's observed it. I've learned it. I've perceived it. It's not just that I know this fact. I'm watching God and saying, wow, Lord, you prepared me for that. Wow, you created me for that. Lord, you gave me that family history that I didn't really want. And now you're using it so I can minister to others and comfort them with the same comfort that I've been comforted with. Thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, you let me go through that experience. Lord, you've been involved in this the whole time. My, my soul has observed that you've done this on purpose. My soul knows this very well, or right well. It's exceedingly. It's a big deal. And I want to just think about that for a second. It says my soul knows this right well, very well. It means that, that you should consider this sometimes. Um, if I know it right well, if I know it, and I can check it off on a doctrinal exam, or when the assessment day comes, and I can check the box or write the paragraph. But when I'm thinking about it today, that God made me, how he did on purpose for his glory, um, it, sh it should comfort me and cause me to stop looking at me and start looking at God and saying, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your plan. Verse 15 tells us that God was involved in piecing me together in the womb. It says that curiously wrought. The idea there is better skillfully, like a, a weaver weaving a cloth together. Um, and these ideas of the lowest parts of the earth, it was just out of sight in my mother's womb. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, okay? You saw me when I was formless. Now that's an interesting thing, and this is not just a sermon on the sanctity of life, but it's here. God saw me when I was without form. That means I was a person before I was fully formed. Um, hopefully, hopefully we know that, but that is something that should be so important to us. 
I was a person before I was a fully formed. I was a person from conception. I was a person when I was an embryo. God saw me. God saw you. And he was, he's been involved all the way. Now, it says here, in thy book, all my members were written. Here in our text, it might look that God, like, wrote out the details of how many fingers I had and how many toes I had before um, I was made. That's not the idea. The idea there is all my days were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. God knew about my life. Now, as we think about God's sovereignty, um, some of us have different opinions on that. Um, I'm not here to just talk about necessarily what he's permitted and what he's caused. I'm here to say God knew the whole plan the whole time, and he's been involved in it the whole time, from the beginning to the end. He knew all my days before I was even formed. When there were none of my days, he knew the plan. And for some of us, let's say, that's awesome, and say, wow, that's, that's how I know that I'm going to succeed. Maybe you think that way. That's how I know that this is going to go well. That's how I, I'm just so thankful for the plan that God has for me. I got that ring before spring. I've got a plan for this summer. I've got all this stuff. I know where I'm going in ministry. Great for you. Praise the Lord. There might be some others of us that think, really? You knew? <laughs> you knew. And you were going to let that happen. You knew? You were involved and you planned that and you were okay with that being written? That can frustrate some of us. Um, uh, and to come and, and to remember that God is a God that knows and he's a loving God. And yeah, he wrote the plan for your life. He knows the plan for your life. It was written. It was permitted. Some of it was directed before you were even formed. But God has been involved sovereignly this whole time. So God is sovereign. God is involved. God knows me. He's here with me. And he's sovereignly involved in my life. Now these next verses, verse 17 and 18, um, one of the times that I came to this passage and I was studying it, it like, it hit me in a really weird way. There are parts of my life that feel like you know, that we might all be like, you know, computers on the network that kind of just are plugged in and we get the stuff provided for us and we give the data, blah, blah, blah. But then we come to verse 17. It says, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. God's thoughts are precious. They're valuable. They're valuable to him. They should also be valuable to me. His thoughts are here, not just the fact that he observes. This word thoughts is the talks about purposes and intentions. God has a plan for my life. He has intentions for me. And they're precious. They're valuable. God, God knows what he wants to do with me. How great is the sum of them? God has a lot of thoughts about me. God has a lot of plans for me. He hasn't forgotten about me. Just because he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipotent, those things are like big, vague words. I'm talking about my God is involved in my life, and he's involved in your life. And he cares about you. He has a whole lot of thoughts about you. Verse 18 says, If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. Lord, you think about me a lot, and it matters to me that you do. Psalm 40 and verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order to you. I can't even comprehend all the thoughts that you think about me. I can't comprehend this whole plan that you have for my life. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than, can be, more than can be numbered. I can't count your thoughts about me. Psalm 92 and verse 5 says, O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. 
He thinks about me and he cares and it's not just a momentary passing. He thinks deep thoughts about me. He's involved in my life. There are times that I think about, man, I should think about that sometimes. I have like a list of things. I'm like, man, when I get a few minutes, I should like really consider about what I'm going to do with my life. When I get a few minutes, I should really consider about, you know, how I should change some things in my parenting or in my, my preaching. How about that? Um, I, I stop and I think about those things. God is thinking about me deeply right now. He's thinking about you deeply right now. Psalm 8 and verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him? I'm insignificant, I think. But he's mindful of me, and he visits me, it says, that, uh, the Son of Man that thou visiteth him. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, verses you're familiar with, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How? How do you humble yourself? By casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Lord, this is too much. It's maxing out my brain. You know, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This whole idea of being anxious is kind of like that whole thing, you know, when you go to your computer's kind of like ramping up. Maybe you've got Logos or maybe you've got an old computer and it just kind of like hogs it. And you hit Control-Alt-Delete and you say, wow, that's why, because 99% of my computer's being used. I can't do what I need to do with it. You work that way too. Your brain sometimes gets stuck on worry and anxiety. And we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I can't care about all this. That's not talking about your assignment due tonight. I can't care about all these cares that I can't, that I can't handle. Casting all your care about on him because he cares for you. He cares for me and he cares for you. Um, and so when we think about God's, God's care, it's a personal care. It's not just a general plan for the church, a general plan for the world. He has a plan for my life and yours. He has intentions. Let's come on down here. Psalm 139, verses 19 through 22. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Wow, okay, that just got violent. Um, So God's care, God's presence, and he says this, God is holy. God is not okay with sin. God is not okay with people that blow him off. I will slay the wicked. You know what? He will. And flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that obey not the gospel. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. There are some people that don't want to obey God. And they will suffer. Romans 2 tells us that. He's storing up wrath against the day of wrath. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God will slay the wicked. And it says, depart from me therefore, ye bloody men. Okay, I'm not going to hang out with people that are involved in intense sin. We can talk about the the dynamics of being able to witness, but the idea here is I'm not going to have fellowship with them and let them be the people that influence me. Why? Because verse 20 says, They speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. And then it says, Do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Okay, aren't we supposed to love? Yeah, we are. This hatred is not talking about being nasty. Spirit-filled hate is not nasty hate. There is such a thing as spirit-filled hatred. It's called rejection. I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to get involved in this sin with you. I'm not going to do this with you. That doesn't mean I'm going to poke your eye out. It just means I'm not going to be a part of this with you. And I'm not going to be um, involved in your sin. I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against me? Does it bother me? When you think about some of the unsaved people in your life, Do you just blow them off? Do you engage with them? 
Or do you grieve over their sin? Do you grieve over the direction they're heading? Do you grieve over that because they're offending a holy God? And it says, I hate them with a perfect or a complete hatred. I count them mine enemies. Now, we need to explain this just a little bit um, because, again, God wants us to love one another, but he wants us to reject fellowship by by that. And I think some other verses may help us just a little bit here. We see in Psalm 145, 17, God is holy. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. He's holy in all his works. God is a holy God. Psalm 5, 4, it says, For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness. He's not okay with sin. He does not enjoy sin. He doesn't want to be around it, so he's not going to be. Neither shall evil dwell with you. It can't hang out with you. And he wants that to be true of our life as well. Psalm 119, 115, it says, Depart from me, therefore, ye evil doers, for I will keep the commandments of God. So this kind of helps clarify it for me a little bit. I have an unsaved neighbor um, who does what unsaved people do. And some of those things I don't want to see, I don't want to be a part of, I don't want to smell. I don't want my boys to see, I don't want them to be a part of, I don't want to smell. And so there are going to be some separation things. At the same time, I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to love him, and I'm going to pray for him. And so if I'm in a place with my neighbor where I need to break God's commandments by participating, then something's wrong. But knowing that he does this and still loving him and not participating and walking into his yard or walking to his garage and some of the things that are going on there... um, that's participating. I can love this person and care about them and witness to them without breaking God's commandments. So I don't blow them off. I don't say nasty things. I don't put things on Facebook to attack them. I am a person that wants to keep, so if evildoers are keeping me from keeping God's commandments, I need to reject them. If evildoers are in the world, I can still keep God's commandments. Verse, um, Psalm 119, 63 says, I'm a companion or a friend of them that fear thee. My best friends should be people that fear God. Not just that are saved, people that are walking with God, that have a relationship with them. And that's defined later in the verse, what it says, of them that keep thy precepts. Why? 1 Corinthians 15.33 is very clear. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You've known this for years. When we hang out with people that are in sin, it will become okay to us. It will become not such a big deal to us. Maybe not such a big deal that we don't mind participating in it with them. And if we know that, we need to be very careful. And we do know that. So God knows me. God is with me. God is sovereignly working in my life. God cares about me. God is holy. Knowing that about God, I want to come down in in our last few minutes and look at verses 23 through 24. And maybe you've memorized these verses. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe you've preached them yourselves. But I want to consider this. Knowing who God is. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way and lead me in the way everlasting. I mentioned this at the beginning of our sermon, but in in verse 1 it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. That's an acknowledgement. We're at verse 23 and 24 where it says, Lord, would you please search me? Lord, if you know me and you know everything about me, you know the end from the beginning, you already know it all. Lord, if you're here with me, you're involved in my life. Lord, you've been sovereignly doing this whole plan. Lord, you care about me. Lord, you're a holy God who doesn't ever do anything wrong. I have some trust for you now, and I I want you, I'm willing to sit down and talk with you. I I want you to to tell me. I want you to guide me. Search me. It's okay. Um, I don't want, you can come to my house. I want you to come to my house. Maybe not all at the same time, but you're not going to come into my bedroom. Um, Not because there's anything weird there, because that's my spot, okay? um, That might be where I threw all the junk before you came over so I could hide it, okay? Um, God can come into, God can come everywhere. He can search my heart out, Okay? God, I want you to search me. 
and, and know me. Know my thoughts, know my plans, know my intentions. Lord, it's okay. When I sit down with you, I, I want you to think good things about me. But when I sit down with God, I, I, I'm sitting here and saying, Lord, I'm willing for you to get a little invasive and say, Luke, check your motive right there because I see it and it's not good. And he says, see if there be any wicked way in me. The problem is, according to Romans 8, we're still being sanctified. If you come and say, Lord, would you show me if there's any wicked way in me? Guess what? He will. He will. Some of us don't want to pray this prayer because he will. <laughs> he will. And um, if I come to say, Lord, what do you want to change? Is there anything that you want different in Luke Dewald's life that's not Christ-like? The answer is, yeah. Some of us don't want to hear that, so we don't want to pray this. Why? Because we don't really trust that he knows, that he's here, that he cares, that he's involved, that he's holy, and that he's going to do what's right. But let's do this, guys. Let's be people that, that come to God and say, Lord, it's, it's yours. Search me. Know me. Try me. If there's any sin, I want it to help fix it. I want to follow you. Lead me in the way everlasting. So I hope that that is our prayer. I hope that we can have this right perspective because um, this next couple of weeks, it's going to be really hard to think about God, especially if you um, um, are like a lot of college students who uh, are just now pulling your syllabi out. Um, you should do that. If you haven't, you should do that today. But you should also take some time to say, Lord, please search me and try me, know me. I know that you're a God that knows, that's here. I know you're a God that's sovereignly working. I know you're a God that cares. I know you're a God that's holy, that's good, that doesn't do anything wrong, and I want to be holy too. So Lord, please search me and try me and know me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this special psalm. We thank you for just a chance to pause and consider our perspective of you. We thank you that you're a God that is involved in our lives and that does care about us personally and individually, even the things that we don't want anyone else to know about. We come before you and we just ask you that you would just um, use your word in our hearts today. Help us, Lord, as we do seek to get through this semester in a way that honors you, but help us to pause and trust you and to rejoice in the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.